Sounds like it's going can I, here. Can I dismiss the children? Uh, yeah. Children. Yeah. Thou art dismissed. Um, Thank you. <laughs> to go as with always. Pastor Debbie. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Debbie, Patty. Thank you, Josh and Connor, for helping to make all the tech stuff happen. Pastor Jeff, helping me this week here. Um, <laughs> Bell for <laughs> reading 2 Samuel 11. Every once in a while, I forgot when these texts were, you know, you expect this nice text based on what we'll read today from like manna in the wilderness or Elijah and Elisha have these wonderful miracles where there's food that's been provided beyond what you'd think. But uh, every once in a while does this silly thing where they're unconnected. And so I basically would have had anything other than that. But you're welcome, Belle. Um, So uh, it'll fit. All the scriptures always fit together, so. Uh, anyways, this, our gospel reading is from John 6, um, uh, verses 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the gospel of our Lord. Amen. All right, well, let's see if we can get this. Oh, man, it seems like it's going to work. We'll see. We'll see. Pastor Jeff helped me simplify it, so if nothing else, there's not that many slides. But um, this morning, I'm glad that you're all here uh, with us to worship. We're going to be beginning um, five Sundays, five weeks here on um, the sixth chapter of John's gospel. Pastor Jeff had alluded to. 
You may be wondering to yourself, why this series? Why John 6? Well, let me tell you. We are in a time of the year that's um, kind of known for that. We believe, of course, that Christ has filled all things, all time. And part of the way that we sort of remember, commemorate that, um, some of the things that annually happen, like Christmas and Easter, in addition to just those dates, you're all probably familiar that there are seasons of the Christian year. And so after Pentecost, but before Advent, which will happen in December, um, we have this season called Ordinary Time. See, it was working so perfectly. Oh, there we go. There we go. Ordinary time. And ordinary time has this, it's a, it's a time after we've looked at all the historical moments of Jesus' life from his birth through his resurrection that we get to delve a little bit deeper into some less familiar passages of Scripture, kind of be able to expand our, our breadth, our knowledge of the salvation that God has given us in Jesus. For instance, oh, okay, let's go on. For instance, ordinary time is a perfect time to hear in full the message that Zechariah preaches for us to be to return and recommit to God. It's also the perfect time to listen to John 6, which is Jesus' most, well, it's Jesus' really, other than the, the Passover with the disciples, this is his deepest and richest teaching on communion. He wants to breathe new understanding into the Lord's Supper, this sacred mystery that we're going to celebrate here in just a few minutes. Some of you may be aware that the early church used the word Eucharist often to refer to communion, and it comes from a Greek word, which at that time was kind of the language that was being spoken very frequently, Eucharisteo, which means I give thanks. Giving thanks is what many people do just before dinner, and what Jesus does particularly, especially here with the cup and with uh, the the loaf before this one-of-a-kind meal. In using the term Eucharist, the early church connected this act that we're going to do with the sum and the summit of human life, which is simply receiving the gifts that God wants to give us and then being able to give thanks for what God has done, will do, and will complete in our life. So when Pastor Jeff and I were thinking a little bit about these couple weeks and uh, doing something on communion, um, we were kind of thinking of living gratefully. Certainly, we're convinced that living gratefully gives you a distinctive and notable witness as Pastor Jeff prayed for, having record summer heat, severe drought, spreading wildfires, unhealthy air quality. All these things at least can make me think on everything that I'm missing, everything that's not there. This morning I'd have you ask yourself, (laughs) I was just thinking about this a little bit too, when was the last time that somebody asked you, They called you, they texted you, I don't know, you're just having a conversation. They said, here's this thing I just want you to give thanks with me to God for. Now think in your mind, when was the last time somebody had something (laughs) that perhaps was in need of being lifted to prayer for God, that they were crying out and said, I want you to pray with this, you know, for me on. When was the last time that happened? 
And then maybe finally, <laughs> what was the last time? Prayer's not even in the whole thing. They just had something that they were complaining about that was going wrong. Right? I mean, it says something about this distinctive witness to which we're called. Um, this is a picture of Folsom Lake. And as I was thinking about Folsom Lake, and those are the docks right there. Um, I, I was thinking that this, this to me can sometimes feel so much, at least what my life can feel like, you know, the shrinking Folsom Lake. It's just kind of all being depleted or drained out. And I think that the question, the question that John 6 and maybe coming to this table asks us is, is it possible in our world with wildfires, with smoke, with lakes that are draining out, to still be grateful, to abound, always be giving thanks. It's my hope that in these few weeks as we talk about John 6, you'll have opportunity to give thanks uh, for Jesus' admittedly strange sounding. I know the women's Bible study just did John 6, and so you know how strange sounding his teaching here is. But it's also this really wonderful commentary on being able to receive him and receive the life that he offers, the miracle that this table is, and being able to nourish us and give us the greatest measure of God's life, his joy, and his love. As we begin the sixth chapter then this morning, it opens with one of Jesus' greatest miracles in his ministry. Uh, as you'll often hear in Bible trivia, it's the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's a meal here feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus blesses and gives thanks for just a few loaves and a few fishes, and it provides for all the crowds. This week, as I was thinking about this moment in Jesus's ministry, I couldn't help but think of the crowds that come to him that day, the people walking, And surely as I look out and I see the crowds approaching, I can see those who are bent over from illness and weakness coming up that hill in hope. I can see those being led by other people because they've lost their sight. I can see those having to maintain distance from others because they have illnesses, sicknesses, diseases that are contagious or transmissible. But I can also see the group of friends coming up the mountainside there, unsteady on their feet from the last night out, trying to forget painful family histories and the things that they regret doing. I can see a businessman tired of lying to his family and his friends, to himself, from the increasing stress of his business and the workload, and the way that it feels like the relationships in his life are just deteriorating. I can see the frustrated born and raised Jewish resident who, because of the political policies at that time, is having all the neighboring land around him being taken up by Gentiles that are bringing in the wrong kind of people and the wrong sort of business that tell him that his way of life is foolish and outdated. I can see coming up that hill an exhausted brother and sister, each having now raised their own kids, but now the sister is taking care of, providing more care perhaps. She's used to her aging, living parents 
And the brother all the while feeling guilty because he's taking care of his recently ailing wife and their daughter who's developing a little bit differently. I can see the defeated wife and husband, tired from years of fights and sullen silence, from arguments and from loneliness, not making eye contact as they go up the hillside. And while they wouldn't admit it out loud, most nights before they fall asleep think about either divorce or adultery. I see a forgotten widow coming up the way. who just barely gets by day by day and spends her afternoons looking at the emptiness of her house. I see a trembling grandfather who with his worsening cough and increasing dizziness spells that the medication's not helping, knows that his time is very short. These are the people I see coming up the hill that day, the crowds of the 5,000, to see Jesus. It's not exactly a picture of the beautiful, cultured, well-mannered, successful, triumphant image that the world would want us to portray. But maybe they're just more honest. And maybe I also thank God that it's God who welcomes and loves exactly these people. Exactly you and I, with our problems, our grief, our worries, our shame, our defeat. People who feel the pain of the present moment. People who are often searching for something just to be able to keep going. Our circumstances can so often leave us empty-handed and empty-hearted. Our lives can feel like Folsom Lake, not least because we know that each morning it seems like there's this inlet, this life source that flows into us. But we also have these outlets that can feel like they're outpacing what's coming in so that it is feeling like it's just draining all the energy, all the peace, all the joy, all the hope right out of us. Whether it's by instinct or by culture, One of the attempts to try to circumvent draining (laughs) or feeling like you're drained is by building dams, right? To restrict the life, the love, the care that flows out of us. At least when I do it, it's not because I want to be Ebenezer Scrooge and hoard everything. It's always this last-ditch effort to try to make this inadequate reservoir that I have not completely dry up. Of course, as soon as you put up that dam or those dams (laughs) to limit pouring yourselves into others around you, blocking out opportunities for compassion, for generosity, for giving, selflessness, because of the fear of being emptied, you also limit or lose sight of true life because it happens in this unending cycle of giving and trusting that God will continue allowing us to receive. Despite all my efforts, at least when I attempt this, I often end up in a shallow puddle of a lake bed, only recognizable because of the massive dam that I built that never seemed to work in the first place. So it's the crowds, it's me, maybe it's you, who shuffle along shoulder to shoulder that day up the mountainside, silently pleading and shaking our heads 
over the worries and the problems that seem to be draining us with a shrug that maybe Jesus, maybe we'll be able to cast these and Jesus will be able to fix the problems. Maybe his unending water will build some outlets and fix our problems so that we're no longer drained. But as we arrive at the top of that mountain, wherever Jesus and his disciples are, Jesus is, well, Jesus, and he does something that we may not expect. He's not firstly concerned about the dams or about the outflows or about some quick fix, at least what I think matters. But he is concerned about you and me and about what ultimately matters. Jesus takes a few loaves, he takes a few fish, he blesses them, and he has the disciples pass out the fragments to everyone. You see, Jesus sees deeper than the surface problems. He sees deeper than the dam and the dipping water levels. He gets down to the very bottom of it. He digs in and around us. Jesus sees what I couldn't see as long as I was focused on that outlet and on that dam. The reservoir that I'd been trying to maintain and protect. Jesus shows me as he digs that I've been standing on it. And a wellspring begins to gush and flow back into the lake. I'm convinced that in that moment, as the crowds are all gathered around Jesus and his disciples, as they pass around these few meager fragments, one to another until everybody has something, and they begin to take a bite and then another and then another, they suddenly, in the midst of being lost, amongst all the worries, all the concerns, the fears of our world feeling empty, they suddenly find themselves filled and nourished. Jesus comes and he fills them up in this empty, in this desolate, in this deserted place. Sometimes they think that people can portray Jesus as this religious teacher who's dispensing mystical sayings and abstract truths that are untouched by the exhaustion, the frustration, the pain and the sorrow and the loneliness that we feel. As though Jesus comes and he really is just preaching to those who have their lake and their reservoir levels at 100%. Now you're ready to go and give. Maybe sometimes or half the time I half think that. But here Jesus, the author and the perfecter of life, shows us who he, who God really is. The God who knows what we need before we have ever asked it. And has always provided for us and whose supply will never run out or run dry. If in patience, we ask, we wait, and we watch. In the meal, Jesus shows us here that God is concerned about the moment-to-moment needs of our life. Whatever's running through or on your mind right now as you listen to me. He doesn't expect you to fill up your reservoir so that you can go out and serve him. He wants to meet you exactly in the place that you are the place that's dry and that's barren. And there, Jesus digs. Jesus takes everything that we have, all our nothing, and everything that he is, and he gives thanks to God, and then he selflessly gives it all away so that it will become this wellspring in us. But don't miss that the miracle is found precisely in this united offering. 
As Jesus offers everything that he is, but he also takes what we have and what we don't. Jesus calls us from getting lost, as I so often do, in the problems and the needs that I have, the shrinking lake, and instead wants me to shift focus to where he's digging, finding the well where God's grace abounds and overflows. What Jesus here shows as he feeds the 5,000 is that the sum of the challenges that we face in our life, as overwhelming as they may seem, is always going to be dwarfed by what we have to offer back to God so that Christ can bless it, so that he can break it and multiply it, providing more than we had thought possible. The question I believe this passage asks us this morning is, we kind of journey down these couple weeks. Where are the dried up or the barren places? Where do you hunger for a seeming lack of provision? Where Christ would ask us, how can you receive his presence digging in those places so that he might bless the little that we have to offer, allow it to be more than enough to provide for us and for those to whom God has entrusted us? So I invite you this morning, come to the table. Witness the miracle of how just this cup and this loaf can nourish an entire congregation and sustain us. Christ has indeed given himself to be present here. Come in the spirit and humility that as Christ has not failed to provide himself for millions of congregations over the last 2,000 years, he will not fail to provide for you in your greatest needs, even here and now. Consider how God's miraculous provision may be given to you even by his body, just like he called his disciples to pass out those fragments, even here and now through one another. And return next Sunday as we continue to savor the richness of John 6, move into how the spiritual benefits of this banquet empower us to remain faithful and joyful and loving, no matter what state or condition we find ourselves in. Shall we pray together? Lord our God, we're grateful this morning, grateful for this table, grateful for the gift of your life, grateful that you called us here, knowing all the nothing that we bring with us, out of that lack that we feel, that hunger that we have, to be filled. Allow us, Lord, in that moment, in this moment, to in a sense of just wholly surrendering and receiving what you have to give us, for your son to be of nourishment to us, to allow us to once again go out and selflessly be able to share what you have first given to us so that the world might know that you are indeed the one true Lord who reigns over all things and is perfecting, completing them. Pray this in your son's name.